Welcome to an episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. And we are nearing the end of November. It's a kind of, we're releasing this a little bit earlier uh, this week. We've been talking a lot about a specific genre on here, but we talk about noir overall this month in terms of uh, the main episodes and our Patreon. We've been talking about kind of Richard Gere neo noir or neo noir on our Patreon. We're talking about Maltese Falcon at the end of this month, but on this show we've been talking about neon noir, a very specific genre of noir uh, noir films. And so, Thomas, what have we talked about so far this month regarding this kind of subgenre? Subgenre. Well, with neon noir, we've kind of been talking about specifically melding two time time periods. It's you know neon noir still continues to exist to this day, which we will talk about today. But I think there is this kind of permanent 1980s stamp on the on the genre, or late yep. late 70s into the 80s. Um, so so even when you get something like our movie today, there's still kind of like a throwback aesthetic to it in that you're throwing it back all the way to the beginning of the noirs with German expressionism and whatnot. But then the neon part is also kind of a, an eighties throwback as well. So specifically what we've, what we've said with neon noir is it's taking that uh, noir style, that, that German expressionism, the lots of shadows, lots of contrast, and then it's updating it to an eighties aesthetic, especially with neon lights and kind of, lighting the, the 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 dark alleyways that were normally unlit in uh in noir films so it's taking pretty much telling very similar stories it's you know detectives or crime someone caught up in in a crime uh, innocent man stories as well but you're taking it and you're updating it to modern settings or even futuristic settings with blade runner but uh and then you also have the opportunity with the Hayes code being done you also have the opportunity to show some more of the violence that wasn't shown in the original noirs which is why a lot of the neon noirs gonna be yeah. a little bit more violent than uh than the earlier films were and, and today the the uh today's movie is probably the most violent one we've we've discussed uh, yes. this month uh for sure yeah it's it's uh also a lot of stuff at night is kind of the big thing. Mm-hmm. And I realized um, when discussing this month, they're not all this way, but a lot of them take place in Los Angeles is is the thing mm-hmm. uh, with this kind of urban settings. Noir was always kind of about urban settings in the, in the 40s and 50s, and that has kind of continued. And so like literally all month, we did Blade Runner, which was L.A. Uh, to Live and Die in L.A. was is, is L.A., of course. Uh, all of the Richard Gere movies we discussed were all Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and and so and even Streets of Fire is is not L.A. It was shot some in L.A., but it's like it has a very city urban uh, quality, uh, urban setting in it. And yeah, there is this idea of like harkening back to a older time. I'll we'll discuss it a little bit later today with several things. But I think with today's movie, we're talking about uh, Nicholas Ref- or Nicholas Reffin's drive um nicholas winding reference drive and drive is a movie that weirdly i think almost solidifies the genre in an interesting way because it's harkening back to these earlier films Mm -hmm. in a way it combines them all together and kind of makes like so when everyone says like oh neon noir the first thing i think of is drive yeah a lot of people do even though like drive is technically not in 
the main period. So we had we had a discussion at the end of last episode. I was talking with Anna, who was on To Live and Die in L.A., and she was kind of saying that she didn't think Drive was neon noir because it wasn't in that specific period, weirdly enough. Um, but I think it, it actually, I guess, as I said, solidifies the genre because it's pulling so much from those eras. And Yeah, I think, I, I think you know, to take it back to last month, I think it's something very similar with Scream. You know, at the, yeah. at the time, Scream was all this like, oh, let's look back on the 80s slasher era with this kind of like postmodern, you know, yeah. pretty much the genre is done at this point and we can look back at it and kind of poke fun at it, put put all of the tropes together. And then mm-hmm. in, in doing so, it, it became a classic slasher in itself and kind of and revitalized the genre. Yeah. And this is kind of the same way where it's like it it looks at it, but it's able to this way not to make a spoof of it, but make it as an art film yeah essentially but also just fully fully throw it back similar uh, taking it back last month again similar to x um yeah to, to also fully establish itself as a film from that genre it's it's interesting yeah when you all the reviews you read of this critics when this movie came out everybody was like you can't read a review of it without people comparing it to like some movie from the 70s like that's that yeah. is how successful it is it invoking that style yeah it's like thief it's like the driver Mm -hmm. i mean even even the character's name in this movie is the driver and that's the character's name that ryan o'neill has in walter hills the driver so it's very much pulling from these earlier movies and in turn becoming one of the top examples of the genre and so it's interesting when kind of writing this episode of seeing how everything we've discussed about for good or bad within this genre comes into play. Like, well, Streets of Fire, will, I think, will mm-hmm. have a very interesting connection um, with this movie that, that Thomas and I discussed about it uh, a few weeks ago about what was kind of the flaw to Streets of Fire and how Drive does something a little bit different mm-hmm. uh, and kind of avoids that uh, that aspect of it. Well, and I, I also think that this movie, if you look back when it came out, I think it, it really changed kind of the independent cinema. <laughs> I don't I don't want to like give it too much yeah. credit, but, um, you know, if, if you go back to like the the landscape of the like 2010s or like 20, yep. 2000s early 2010s yep. leading into this like like art house movies weren't cool uh i feel yeah. like like that's interesting like yeah. miramax had kind of run into the like like you go back to the 90s like art house it was presti- it was prestige yeah, art house was cool was. in the 90s like you could have cool art house stuff and then it turned into like art house stuff was just tailored to win oscars and that's it and this yeah. this one is the first I, re- I remember when this came out it's it was like yo this movie's this movie's cool <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 a uh it's a, a stu- or it's a independent or it's a art house genre picture mm-hmm. is the thing it's it's like i mean a lot of times people like drive is like the film bro movie where oh, like yeah. everyone's like oh my god drive's amazing it looks it looks gorgeous we can talk we can talk about uh maybe we'll talk about it in fallout we can talk about a little bit about uh <laughs> red flag movies yeah red flag movies yeah, yeah yeah but this was kind of like this is almost like your pre i hate to say this but like your pre a24 type movie yeah. where it's like the people who love a24 it's like it's art house with a genre flair in some way it's like how do i tell a noir movie and make it somewhat of a no i think it i think a romance story a24 absolutely comes up on on the backs of this of like oh people enjoy 
a cool genre art house film that that you just gotta they, they found a, a certain subset some set of film viewers that i feel like the kind of miramax era of art house films was not tapping into whatsoever yeah yeah it's it's a vibe it's a vibe, it's a vibe film for sure yeah it's a vibe film um but yeah so so drive for those who don't know, do not know um it is about a unnamed hollywood stunt driver who moonlights as a getaway driver at night so stunt driver during the day uh getaway driver at night for for heist and basically he gives he gives the people who are doing the robberies five minutes and five minutes alone in that time he is theirs and he will do anything he can to get them out of uh or out of the crime scene basically Mm -hmm. and while having this kind of double life he he grows he meets his next door neighbor in his LA apartment, uh, Irene, because the getaway driver has no name. His name is the driver, but he meets Irene, who has this young son and lives there. She's a she's a waitress at Denny's, and her husband is currently in prison for basically I think committing robberies and being a criminal. Uh, his name's Standard, and so they kind of have somewhat of a attraction to one another. It's kind of a will they won't they but nothing fully goes anywhere with them because once standard shows up, it kind of falls apart. But the driver, one finds out that standard's still in deep with some of his bat, his shady figures he worked before the driver decides to help him out and help him commit one of the robberies. Um, it stars Ryan Gosling as the driver, Carrie Mulligan as Irene, Brian Cranston, who is the driver's kind of mentor and boss uh uh in the movie albert brooks who plays uh bernie who is kind of the villain in the back half of the movie he's present throughout but he becomes kind of your main antagonist as the movie goes on uh and ron perlman is nino as one of bernie's friends and then oscar isaac is standard and uh christina hendrix is blanche who is one of the people who helps in one of the robberies so a pretty big cast mm-hmm. um and directed by nicholas winding refn and produced by Mark Platt, cinematography by Newton Thomas Siegel. So a lot of big names in this uh, in this film. But what is your history with Drive, Thomas? Uh, I just remember the buzz when this came out, and and I think I this, was this 2011. How 2011? 2011. I rented it. I probably still had a blockbuster at that point. Um, I, I, they were they were still around. I didn't see yeah. it until it came out on home video. I think I was home for the mm-hmm. summer from college, and like I showed, I, I remember like telling my dad like, "Oh, we should watch this. This seems this seems up your alley." From the stuff I read about it, I don't remember him liking it, but I, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Um, but yeah, and then it just you know I, I watched it as the buzz was going, more of the critical buzz was going on. I watched it. I I enjoyed it. And then it just like in the next like two years, it just exploded. Um, And then it was everywhere. It was the film bro movie. Um, It was. And, and you know, the soundtrack was everywhere. It it just, yeah, it was gigantic. Yes. Yeah. It it was one. I, I watched similar, similar fashion. I think it was one of the video stores that was still open at the time in Alabama watched it that way i liked it and so i think it was somewhat surprising in those next few years when it became the film bro movie and i was like really was it that <laughs> great 
and I hadn't revisited since then. And so there was kind of a, not as much of a late, but I remember early on, I guess when we got into film school where I, I was kind of, I mean, you know, I had this before. It's like, there's certain movies that come out that people just like love so much. that I almost like, not revolt against, but kind of like back away from. Okay, let's let's talk about red flag movies here. <laughs> For anyone who's unaware, red flag movies yeah. are movies that are generally, I think most people would agree, most red flag movies are good. Uh, yes. They've just become liked within a certain subset of people. This is an entirely, this is an internet era <laughs> issue. Some of these movies existed before the internet and have become yeah. red flags post-internet. Um but but the problem with most red flag movies and because you associate them with a subset of people online and then you're just like oh god i don't i don't even i don't want to watch that i don't want to revisit that movie again like yeah. the problem is most of them are good yeah <laughs> uh fight club is a great movie american yeah. psycho is a great movie a lot of those movies the red flag part is that the people who idolize them also don't understand what the movies are saying uh yeah (laughs) fight club and american psycho included um but but yeah drive drive kind of became this red flag movie where people were like oh it's so good and it's like so when i revisited it last night i was sitting there like damn it this movie is really good (laughs) really good really good (laughs) like you hate to you hate to give it to them but um but it is it's good yeah it's really good yeah there's certain movies i i remember I, we showed a Clockwork Orange one time for like a midnight, and someone's like, "Oh yeah, this is my favorite movie of all time." I was like, "Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah." That's this movie? That's that's what the red flag is. It's like you can enjoy yeah. this movie, but you probably probably when you when someone clicks on your Letterbox profile, it probably should not be in your top five. Like, yeah, yeah, and and maybe we sound like snobs saying that, but yeah, it just feels. Well, it's more like what's your reasoning behind it? Mm-hmm. Is kind of the thing because like Drive is is really good, and I as a genre picture it's really well done Mm -hmm. is the thing but people see it as like oh yeah i want to be like yes exactly it's it's you know maybe and maybe the driver's not as problematic as patrick bateman but it does get kind of lumped in there's a there's another meme online called the literally me characters and that's like these people that that watch movies and they're like oh i just i just want to be that guy like he's so cool and i'm like that's the point of the movie is not that the driver is so cool like that's not what the movie's trying to say but i'm gonna buy a scorpion jacket and then i'm not i'm gonna chew on toothpicks it's like no that's not it's not what the movie's movie's about um i mean the thing is about him is that he's such a he doesn't know how to deal with his feelings is this kind of is this the thing he doesn't know how to deal with his feelings but we can't t- we can't discuss that and, and like no it looks so cool and the music's so great and I, w- I want to be driving around LA listening to like like electronic music like be really cool uh, yeah uh, but the, it, this felt like coming into film school where like it was like we I think we did a uh, a lighting yes. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. exercise from this from one of these movie, one a scene from this movie yeah. but it was like very much like I was like was it, is it really this like good is what I was feeling like when that happened. And so, yeah, like I said, we've, I've kind of like just have pushed it away and not really wanted to revisit it. Um, and yeah, coming back to it, like you said, it's like, it's really, it's a really well done movie um, for a lot, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll discuss more in depth on that in a, in a, in a moment. But uh, let's get into the history of how this movie got into production. So a lot of the times we start these stories with the director 
or an actor, someone at a crossroads. But this time, we're going to start with kind of the the nuts and bolts of Hollywood film development. (laughs) Because every day in Hollywood, as you know, Thomas, Mm -hmm. production companies are looking for new intellectual property for film. So this could be books, video games, comic books, news stories, or you're reading scripts constantly. But in terms of IP, that's exactly what Mark Platt and Adam Siegel of Mark Platt Productions were doing in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. And one day, Adam Siegel was reading Publishers Weekly, and he read a review for this novel about a getaway driver who didn't have a name. And that novel was Drive, written by James Salas. And Siegel immediately called Salas' agent and got the book and immediately read it that night. And the book is rather short. It's only like 158 pages, basically. Mm-hmm. So it, he, like it was fin- he finished it pretty quickly. And he said he had not seen a character like the driver in a long time on screen. Mark Platt would then read it, and he felt the same way about it. And he was excited about making a movie that reminded him of the films that he grew up with that starred actors like Steve McQueen and Clint Eastwood. Now, I didn't mention this throughout the month, but I realized as I I was researching this is that three of the four movies we discussed at this point all mentioned Steve McQueen as like what the lead character is Mm, like. mm Mm-hmm. It was like Streets of Fire, To Live and Die in L.A., and now Drive. Steve McQueen and Clint Eastwood were always two <laughs> comparison pieces for all of these movies. Yeah, And he, and even in the critical reception, everyone kind of mentioned, oh, this character is kind of like the man with no name uh, uh, in all Clint Eastwood's movies. And I think one listed Pell Ryder as an example, or everyone's kind of compared. This is like he's like Steve McQueen type character. And so it's interesting to see how these lead characters in all these movies everyone (laughs) goes back to even before their genre and not even the noir genre, but like the 60s and 70s neo-noir action films. Mm -hmm. And Steve McQueen's the big one. Um, But Platt and his company then attached a writer for the project, and that was Hussein Amini, and they all refer to him as Haas. So many Hussein Amini. Um, Haas is an Iranian-British filmmaker who had been nominated for an Oscar in the 1990s for his adaptation of Henry James's The Wings of the Dove. And Amini said that Drive was a rare book for a studio to produce because it was so short and dark. Mm -hmm. He said he read it more like a poem than an actual novel. And so Amini began developing the book, and while it was short, he said it was hard to adapt because the book was told in a non-linear fashion. So he had to streamline the narrative and make it a linear story. So the project ended up at Universal Pictures because Mark Platt Productions has a deal with that studio, and the company would then soon attach a very popular star in the role of the driver and an on-the-rise international director. And that duo would be Hugh Jackman and Neil Marshall. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Marshall had directed several horror films up to that point, including the highly underrated The Descent. And Jackman was coming off one of his biggest years of all time in 2006 when he starred in six films, including X-Men The Last Stand, Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain, and Christopher Nolan's The Prestige. Wow. And so it seems like everyone, like every, I was reading up some article, like, yeah, that was a time when like Hugh Jackman was being attached to everything. Like he was just putting his name on everything in the late 2000s. Mm-hmm. To give Hugh Jackman credit, uh, it's like here's the thing about like movie stars it's like there's always the people who are really hot for a moment and it's hard to carry over that for like a decade let alone five years mm-hmm. uh and let alone multiple decades and somehow hugh jackman's done a good job at that i will say like, it's like it's like he's he's continued he goes and kind of like little hot streaks of late like mm-hmm. 
he's done done kind of his prestige stuff. He's went back to Broadway. Now he's doing Wolverine again. Like he's back in the. News. I mean, he's, uh, he's, he he contains multitudes. If you can get yeah. if you can get ripped and you can also sing and dance, you know, there you go, boom. Talk about just like a triple threat type person, mm-hmm. like sing, act, and dance. Um, but soon, however, Jackman and Marshall would drop out of the project, and Platt would go on to his next choice for the driver. Platt said that he keeps a list of actors and writers and directors he wants to work with, and one of the names toward the top of the actor list was Ryan Gosling. And when approached for the role, it seems Gosling had not released a movie in a few years Hmm. because after becoming a box office star with The Notebook in 2004 and becoming a a, a on-the-rise critical darling by receiving an Oscar nomination for his performance in the 2006 film Half Nelson... Hmm gosling had not made a film since 2007 really he was yeah i didn't realize he, he goes on gaps i didn't realize how big of like how gaps he how, how many gaps he has in his career but he would then he would soon star in two films in 2010 with all good things and then blue valentine which resulted in his second oscar nomination mm-hmm. but three-year gap but as he was i guess probably shoot had just shot blue valentine drive came his way and platt would send gosling the script and within 48 hours gosling was wanting to meet with him to discuss the movie gosling had been wanting to make an action movie that focused on a character and he thought drive could be that movie he talked about how there was uh, he saw a rise in superhero movies and action films and he really like thought there there could be a movie just about a character and not just about the big stunts right and cgi type uh action because of his rising star power, Platt gave him the opportunity to pick the director for this movie. Now, Universal was hoping Drive would be the beginning of another action-packed franchise similar to the Fast and the Furious franchise that they had, and everyone hoped that he would pick a director that could direct a film of that caliber. Now, Gosling said that he constantly watches movies, and one director that had caught his eye was Nicholas Winding Refn, a Danish filmmaker who had made Valhalla Rising and the Pusher Trilogy in Denmark before going over to England and making Bronson with a young or up-and-coming Tom Hardy. Mm-hmm. Bronson will be a big player in a lot of this stuff. Oh, okay. I like Bronson. Just in terms of everyone had seen Bronson or was watching Bronson to prep for this movie. So Refn was not the Hollywood director the studio was hoping for, but Gosling said he gives credit to Mark Platt, for giving them the go-ahead and try to get Refn for this project and kind of make it a smaller film than what was initially intended. And since Refn was gaining a lot of buzz because of his Danish films and Bronson, he was looking at several projects to be his first American film uh, in Hollywood. And at the time, he was he was he came to Los Angeles because he was attached to a movie called Dying of the Light, starring Harrison Ford. And in the film. Harrison Ford's character was going to be killed and Refn liked the idea of coming to Hollywood and killing one of its biggest, biggest (laughs) stars in his first American movie. It seems Ford was not too keen on his character dying in the film, which is, which is the opposite of star Wars, star Wars. Yeah. Um, But while coming to Los Angeles, Refn caught the flu and it was Harrison Ford that picked him up from the airport and took him to the pharmacy to get medicine because of it. Now, while high off of heavy flu medication, Refn's rep set him up, set up a meeting with Ryan Gosling to talk about Drive, and both and Refn and Gosling both described the meeting as as a bad date, <laughs> like it did not go well. Gosling said 
that Refn seemed disinterested in the movie and he was dancing his way around it. Refn said he could barely remember what happened in the script because his medication had messed him up so much he forgot like what the movie was about. And he also showed up a half hour late to their to their like dinner, essentially. Gosling said Refn barely spoke for the two hour long dinner they had together. Refn, who was feeling ill because of the flu uh, and not wanting to call a cab, asked Gosling to drive him home back to Santa Monica. Uh, I'll bring this up now. At this point in time, Refn did not have his driver's license, oh. having having failed it eight times in his oh, life. Wow. His driver's test. Okay. So he was all he was always asking people for rides. <laughs> um, and while driving Refn from Hollywood to Santa Monica, Go- Gosling turned on the radio to drown out the silence, um, because he was like, "I have an hour drive back with this guy after spending a two hour meeting that didn't go well. I'm just gonna put on music and just like vibe." As they were driving. Ario Speedwagon's song "Can't Fight This Feeling" came on, <laughs> and Refn turned up the volume and began and began loudly singing the song, <laughs> while also bursting into tears. Oh wow! He then screamed, "We're gonna make a movie about a man who drives around in a car listening to pop music because that's his emotional release." And Gosling turned to him and said, "I'm in." <laughs> um, so that's how it came to be that these two were working on this project together. Um, now the star and director were on board, they began working on the script. And along with the film's writer, Hasamini, they began rewriting the script, trying to capture what was in Salas's original novel and not a $60 million action movie, which is what the script was originally intended for. Um, Refn said he'd been reading a lot of Grimm's fairy tales to his daughter, daughter, and he said he wanted to make this movie like a fairy tale. Or it could be a rock and roll fable. Oh, no, no. No, I'm saying. But it's interesting. The comparison of both them wanting to make a fairy tale like movie in a noir film is 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 an interesting kind of comparison. Mm-hmm. But he said that fairy tales would were minimalistic, but also emotionally precise. And he felt like Drive could be that. Yeah. And so the, they began stripping away the dialogue for the driver's character and a lot of his backstory. They took away the history of his father being a burglar, how his mom murdered his dad, and how he and how the driver stole his foster parents' car to run away. They took away all of that. So again, the opposite of what they did in Streets of Fire, where they kept trying to add backstory to things mm-hmm. to make it interesting. They took it away, which made the driver more interesting. Now, with a script in good shape, they began to cast the film and. With Gosling on board and Refn being a talked-about name in town, several actors were wanting to be on this project. Uh, Carrie Mulligan, who was coming off her Oscar-nominated role in an education, mm-hmm. had recently seen Bronson and loved it. Like Independently of all this, she emailed her agent saying that she wanted to work with a director like Nicholas Refn. Needless to say, she was surprised when a script came her way only two or only three weeks later for Drive. Uh, Refn said he he doesn't like doing auditions for his films. Instead, he chooses to meet the actors mm-hmm. and talk with them about their role in the movie. He said that he liked Mulligan, even though he hadn't seen an, edu- an education. His wife had, though, and she kind of pressed him to cast Mulligan because of it. And uh, he would, and, would, and that would actually force him to change the character in the script because originally written in the novel... Uh, and the original script, it was going to be a Latin character played by a Latin actress. Mm-hmm. So, it, so they changed the name of Irene to that. That's also why Oscar Isaac is playing a Latin character. It was supposed to be. It wasn't an interracial couple like it is in the movie. 
when it came to casting Shannon, uh, the driver's boss and mentor, Refn wanted to cast Brian Cranston because he was in love with Breaking Bad. And if you couldn't guess, a lot of people were. <laughs> so Cran- Cranston was getting a lot of big offers from several big films. And Refn sent Cranston a script and asked him how he would like to develop this role. And after not hearing from him for a little bit, Refn called Cranston up directly to talk with him about how he wanted to build out the character of Shannon with Cranston. Unbeknownst to Refn, at that very moment, Cranston was sitting down with a piece of paper writing the pros and cons of accepting the role (laughs) in Drive. Cranston, I guess thinking it was kismet, I guess, was was also impressed with Refn's eagerness and openness, agreed to do the role based off that conversation. Refn would then talk with up-and-coming actor Oscar Isaac about portraying Standard in the film, the the uh, Irene's husband. Mm-hmm. But Isaac wasn't interested in the role. He saw the character as a stereotypical Latin character who's a career criminal in and out of jail with like no redeeming qualities. Once Refn met with him, he realized how open he was with expanding the character and the backstory, and how and what kind of world he was trying to build. And Refn allowed Isaac to make more to make basically make Standard more of a good man who got caught in some bad spots in his life, who's trying to make amends essentially, mm-hmm. and that's what interested Isaac for the role of Bernie Ross. Gosling and Refn talked about who they should cast in this menacing role, and Refn said out of nowhere, "Was like we should probably get like Albert Brooks. We need someone like Albert Brooks." Uh, that's they did. Yeah, how? That's like such a this is this is. I mean, that, honestly, that's the thing. I remember most about like the critical yes, uh, response yes. to this movie was like Albert Brooks is the bad guy in this movie. And that was yes. so like out of left field. That's not, that's not the call anyone would make sitting down for this, for this role. Yeah. He just said he liked when he met him, he goes, he had this aggressiveness about him. Like it was like, he could just snap at any moment. And but like we've seen that kind of in say broadcast news, but it's done for more. Com- it's but it's done for more comedic effect. This you know is what, what I mean? happens like, when Aaron doesn't get the the host the the anchor gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he, when when John when when William Hurt gets it instead Starts of him, slicing like, veins. Yeah, he's. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's 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 almost over. It's almost over. That's it. That's it. Um. Yeah. And so they're but they're like i don't know if he's gonna want to do it because he mostly acts in his own movies that he writes and directs and gosling pretty much said i didn't think he wanted to play a character so violent no. and dark um when Refn met with brooks he asked him why he should cast him in the film and brooks basically said you can cast one of the other several actors who have played this role before and the movie will just be an ordinary movie mm-hmm. or you could cast me and it'd be something completely different yeah so he was he was very on board with like I want to play this role because he felt like I think Brooks felt like he was I could I knew I could always play a role like this but no one gave me an opportunity to do so mm-hmm. and this allowed him to do that. Well, and, well, and I think you know it's a very it is a very simplistic movie. It, it's not yes. trying to 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 do anything uh, out of the ordinary, but I do think in that casting, I don't know. If the script alone, I mean, the script alone is kind of doing the same thing, but with with his character, it's like he's the good, you know, you've got the fire and ice. He's he's the the calm business minded one and, and Nino's and, yeah. Nino's the fire. And and so when you do have a pairing like Ron Perlman and, and, and Albert Brooks, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I get it. And and so yeah. then that 
that's really the the twist of this movie it's like when you know when bernie's like all right i guess i gotta clean this up and you're like you're the one like you you're gonna clean yeah. it up and then you're like oh shit yeah no he is the one that's gonna clean it up yeah because at what what brooke said he goes what i liked was that like it's a character who like doesn't like to be violent mm-hmm. and he tries to be nice but he's willing to go those lengths yeah, he's a fairly amiable guy for for a gangster yeah. like and and that's when those characters are scary mm-hmm. it's the the scary characters are not usually the loud mouth characters like nino the scary characters are those cool calm controlled individuals because that means they can be calculating in what they do. Mm-hmm. Nino goes off emotions. Brooks or, or uh, uh, Bernie does not go off emotions. Mm-hmm. He goes off of business and what can be done. It's like, I mean, it's, it's like, he talks about like of how he met uh, when he met Shannon, Brian Cranston of how like uh, he's like, Oh yeah, I knew he was, I knew he was ripping me off, but like he was a nice guy mm-hmm. and I let him do his thing. Now, Nino, Neo didn't like him ripping off, so he broke his pelvis and like, and so I felt sorry for the guy. Um, but yeah, so that's what they did. So and and speaking of Nino, for the role of Nino, uh, actor Ron Perlman came on late to the project. Uh, he had seen Bronson and loved it, and he wanted to work with Refn, but also the amazing cast, and he really liked the script. When Refn asked him why he wanted to play such a small role. Perlman said that he always wanted to play a Jewish man who wanted to be an Italian gangster because that's who he was himself, <laughs> a Jewish boy from New York. For the role of Blanche, who's the uh, the, uh, who, the person who assists uh, Standard in the robbery, uh, Refn was looking to cast a porn star in the role, feeling it would be some, feeling it would bring some authenticity to the character because she was a stripper who helped out in the robbery. Uh, but he couldn't find a porn star actress that he liked until he saw Christina Hendricks after seeing her work in Mad Men. And that's when mm-hmm. he cast her. So with the phenomenal cast on board, a script that was only like 81 pages. And then they drive. And a, bu- yeah, a budget, a production budget of $13 million. Drive would move into principal photography in Los Angeles. And that leads us to favorite scenes. So Thomas, what is one of your favorite scenes? I mean, you, you, got, you got to talk about the opening. Like The opening's amazing. Yep opening's amazing you you get everything you need to know he's he's got his little rundown about how he works and then you get this like and it's not an insane chase scene like it's not no a crazy chase scene but it it is you know i i think i'm i can appreciate a car chase but i do find them they can get repetitive sometimes it's like and and this one is this is it's like a I don't know it's a it's a cat and mouse game it's hiding it's pulling into corners yes. it's waiting to see if they're going to drive past you it's so it's a pacing that you're not used to in a car chase scene usually it's just like go 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 who can go the fastest um and 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 I mean we get that a little bit in the in the car chase scene after the pawn shop heist um and and that scene that scene's done very well but there's a reason why this is the scene everyone talks about because it, it does you you kind of expect when they hop in the car you're like all right here we go car chase and then it's like no he's this he's a different kind of driver he's not about going as fast as possible he's about backing it into this spot this is la you got to hide from the helicopters like and and so it's it's a really really unique quote-unquote car chase scene because it's so much of it is like hiding and waiting and suspense and that that showdown at the stoplight that's like is this guy gonna pull me over or not um 
and then ultimately you know to to find out it's kind of this great reveal that puts a little cherry on the scene like he's been listening to this clippers game the whole time and then it's like oh this was all on purpose this was all planned out he was he's timed it all perfectly to pull into uh la live r.i.p uh wasn't crypto crypto crypto.com arena Uh, staples center is now crypto.com arena yes Um, we i we call it the crypt as like my friends oh, gotcha. do which is i think which no one else is doing but it's a, such a better name it's still so, la live yeah. i guess the complex is still yeah yeah so basically to pull into the staples center like right as everyone's getting out and then you've got cover to escape so it, it's it's yeah. it's a it's a little short film basically i mean and then you know is, and then you get is. your opening credits but it everything is established there we know like exactly get about everything we need to know about the driver in that in that scene um yeah yeah i mean a good a good comparison because i thought this is is baby driver Mm -hmm. um another film that was highly inspired by walter hills the driver and with those two movies they're both their opening scenes are a robbery basically and you're introduced to with that one it's multiple characters with driver you're introduced to one character and with baby driver it's scored to music Mm-hmm. And because of that tone, it never feels like baby's going to get caught mm-hmm. with drive with where main, mainly it's done with the score is, is the police scanner. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like the police scanner is, is the only dialogue in the scene. And the driver is just basing everything off of that. And, with all that, because there's like kind of everything stripped down, it's just that kind of the, again, at least that standoff at the, at the stoplight when he's, when, when he hears him go like possible suspect at stoplight on this. And that's the tension just goes up. And so like, you almost feel like, and even it's the opening scene, there is always this tension that he's not going to get away. Like this movie could be about a driver trying to get out of prison. We don't know that yet. Mm-hmm. And, there's enough tension where like we think something could easily go wrong but then like you said when you find out about the, the clippers game you realize it was all kind of part of the plan right. and he's a very calculating person individual um and a man of few words and you find out, out find that out more and more and more but then that whole scene you now ha- you now know who he actually is and so when he meets irene you there's there's a sense of like conflict already of like is she going to find out what he does Mm -hmm. is the thing um and so you have this great opening this great action-packed opening that could be a fast and furious movie uh no um but then you lead in this very for the next kind of 20 minutes or whatever this love story between uh between gosling and mulligan and their scenes are and it's 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 again it's scenes of a few words a lot of the time Mm -hmm. like he is it's the kind of uh, uh, he sees her in the hallway and then it becomes the Caesar in the grocery store. And then he feels bad because her car's broken down. And then you have the great scene when he helps her with the groceries and just the framing, the, the shot, shot composition of like uh, them talking in the mirror in the background, the picture of Oscar Isaac and the kid mm-hmm. in the center of it. And it's just like, it's right there. That shot is like, here's what's going on within the scene but then here's the conflict of this relationship and it's done so well it's done so well yeah and i think you know something we talked about with with kind of the the heist movie a couple of months back is 
is there's always in, in a heist movie there's always kind of like a way out and i think what's kind of unique about this one is like the way out is getting in with organized crime in this one but yeah. but you, you you know if 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 this proposal that that shannon has for bernie that's that's kind of set up in this in this kind of like everything's going well period uh yeah you know shannon has this idea they're gonna do a stock car they're gonna become like famous stock car racers and and bernie's gonna back them and like everything's gonna be okay yes they're gonna be in with organized crime but but like in a legitimate way and the driver can stop doing these little like robberies on the side um so like every, everything's looking up i just think it's funny that the like going legitimate means getting in bed with gangsters but they're good gangsters yeah. you so you think now or at least one i think bernie is the good yeah. gangster bernie's chill well like, that's the bernie's like yeah like i i like you like it's like he's a great yeah he's great or I, it's i love the scene going out that when gosling meets bernie mm-hmm. it's it's it, the son of the character it's it's just also like again a cool line when uh when when like bernie sticks out his hand and gosling just like waits for a minute he goes ah, my hands are dirty and then bernie's like so are mine mm-hmm. like it's just like he, he like, bernie's character it's also very albert brooks thing to say where like he knows he's making a joke that like he's a dirty guy mm-hmm. he, he 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 is involved in stuff that's that that he thinks gosling has no idea about so that's that's why i love later on the kind of twist is that gosling somehow gets involved with the people he's working with but now in their actual crime mm-hmm. way basically um but yeah i love I, I love when gosling meets bernie and and yet shannon cranston and cranston and gosling are great together mm-hmm. like i love the scene to go with kind of the combination of all of it all all of it is when cranston and gosling are at the the auto shop and mulligan and her kids show up mm. and cranston kind of has like oh you you know the boy you know the guy you know you know him like he's a good guy and he and he starts like kind of teasing gosling in a way and you kind of get a little bit of the like comedy chops of gosling in that scene where he's like get out of here mm-hmm. like he's just he's pl- he's like he's basically knows what what cranston's trying to do um but yeah it's just that whole that whole relationship with him and mulligan's sweet and that first 30 minutes, it's just a, such a sweet romance between these two characters. Mm-hmm. Um, with the with the drive down L.A. River. <laughs> and again, what I said earlier, it's an interesting comparison to Michael Pere and Streets of Fire is that they pull off the like ripping everything away. Mm-hmm. And it's you don't know anything about this character. He's the quiet. He's a quiet, uh, quiet, confident kind kind of guy. It feels like, uh, at least from the outside, and it works. Well, and, that's because they also just don't bring it up. Like you know, Shannon's like this yeah. kid showed up to my garage five years ago, and I knew nothing about him, and I still know nothing about him. But you know, yeah. it's not it's not everybody going. You're Tom Cody. You're you're a legend, and it's like okay, <laughs> well, how is he a legend? Why is he a legend? We don't even know this guy's name. <laughs> we just we but but seeing that opening enough makes him i guess a interesting character mm-hmm. where it's like he does that but he also is a hollywood stuntman yeah. or whatever well, i think i think I, I i said it during uh our heist movie month too is i think most people like watching someone be who's very good at what they do do that thing well and so yes. like as soon as we see that chase scene 
and we know like oh he's really good at this that 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 wins us that wins him some points yeah uh in our in our book as an audience no i agree i agree uh what's another another scene you like let's see so we, we, we kind of already touched on on him kind of meeting bernie i really like any of the any of the cranston albert brooks interaction scenes i think are great because yeah. those are both two really talented actors who both understand drama and comedy um yes yes and, you know i think especially I'm, I'm i'm really glad cranston took this kind of during breaking bad because i think he got so like typecast for a little while after breaking bad that everyone forgot that he spent 10 years on a sitcom before that like he's <laughs> yeah, yeah he's so funny and he can be so warm when he needs to but everybody's like oh he's heisenberg um but it, this is such a great character he's like so warm and and kind of kind yeah. of uh you know you get the feeling he's kind of a scumbag in a certain sense but 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 a nice one you know yeah yeah <laughs> um he, he's, he's a guy who's trying to make a quick buck it feels yeah. like a lot of the yeah, time. yeah but he's he, he seems loyal to the people that he likes especially the kid um yeah. i do really love that scene when he goes when he when he first approaches irene just the way it's shot that he's like goes to his car and then he's kind of looking over and you're like not sure what's going on and then he the frame moves with him as he moves over and we see that her cars uh yes. we see that her car's messed up and then yeah i i think that's that all of that kind of sequence is really nice and then and then we get standard back i do love the scene when they meet in the hallway because it's kind of like oh is this guy gonna he's he's fresh out of prison he's gonna be like hey you moving in on my girl like what's going on it's just like okay i appreciate you i appreciate you looking out for everybody you know yeah it it still reads like he's he he's being somewhat intimidating is what mm-hmm. it feels like. Cause, cause you don't know yet. Like you say, you don't know. It, it, it also, it, kind of, it reads like he's trying to get a read on driver, which it's like, get in line, buddy. Yeah. Like we're all trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> but you just feel like he's trying to be like, okay, the, I'm, I'm the man. I'm back in this situation. We don't need you anymore. Thanks for helping. Mm-hmm. And then what I find so fascinating with the Oscar Isaac character, you get that scene where you think he's going to be the intimidating character. And then, for the rest of his story he's kind of this insecure or like he's i won't say he's a coward in any way but you can tell he doesn't want to be in the situation he's in and you can see that the driver has no qualms about being in the situation he's in Mm -hmm. so he's just more confident when talking to like when they're at the when they're having the meeting with the with the guys he owes standard Mm -hmm. owes money to like I, you can tell oscar isaac standard is not like he's just like he wants to get out of there he feels uncomfortable and driver is so like you get me for five minutes and that's it mm-hmm. before nothing uh, like like I, I i'll never see you again i'm i'm not i don't carry a gun i'm not part of the robbery i drive that's what i do mm-hmm. i drive and it it, it just shows the, like how quickly it switched yeah where oscar isaac is the criminal and then he's not anymore. He's kind of the like, I just want to have a regular life. Yeah. And you realize he he just he wasn't a criminal to begin with. He was just he was kind of like got caught up, as I said, got caught up in bad stuff in his life and was at the wrong place at the wrong time, probably. Yeah, no, I I think as you know, that that kind of speech he has at his welcome home party is it's definitely shows that he's someone who feels a lot of guilt because everyone's just there yes. to celebrate him being out of prison. And he's like, Hey guys, I just want to bring this back and say, like, I really messed up and i'm gonna try and put things right like he, he's yeah he, he's definitely not someone who's like yeah i'm out of jail now who cares like 
yeah it, it, it really messed up his life and he feels it um and, and and i think he's always a little uncomfortable once he's back about putting his family at risk again yes and then and and the thing is with and with the gosling isaac relationship it's not like uh like it's the scene after he's gotten beaten mm. up and they're in the bathroom and there's something where at first you think gosling will be upset that like oh you're bringing them back into it mm-hmm. uh but like you're selfish for getting back in this world but i think he realizes that he doesn't want his family to get involved in this he doesn't want to be involved in yeah. this and so gosling's not blaming him for anything he's just kind of like i think he's like i'll help you out i'll help you sell this so you can just be done because yeah. yeah, yeah. i don't want them coming after them yeah i think um, i think i think the driver really believes I don't think he would do it. I don't think he would help him with this heist if he didn't think that this was the last one for standard. Yeah. Like that he was, I think he yeah. believes that standard is is done once this is done. It's genuine. Yeah, it's genuine. It's a genuinely like, I want to get out of this. Um and then we go into this the big robbery gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And just again, the way that scene is built out where you have them walking into the rob you don't see the robbery inside. And then you have the second car come up and you can tell Gosling's aware something could go wrong or is going wrong in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the, the, the fantastic car chase after the pawn shop once standard gets killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so just like brutal, like when standard gets killed, it's not just a, like, I'm going to shoot him one time. This guy just unloads on him. Mm-hmm. And like, you like this guy's dead. Standard is dead. We're like the, the kid's father's gone. And that, and, and then this back half is just mayhem, basically yeah. from from the from that from that point from that point. And you have the hotel kind of shoot out, which I love. But the scene I love is when he goes to the criminal guy at the strip club yes, with the hammer. Is just in so in, so intense. Just boom, boom, boom on his hand three times. Yeah, it's it's so because think about with this violence a lot of times, it's played from a distance with not a lot of cutting which is what makes the violence more visceral Mm -hmm. like you feel how brutal when he when he's literally hitting him with the hammer on his hand but then you you have that great one he's like he has the bullet he has the bullet on his on his head he's like about to hammer the bullet in, and you're just like this dude's like he he will go this far if he wants yeah and then that scene is also where kind of the worlds collide because you 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 don't really know and, and that guy's like oh you got to talk to nino it's kind of like oh shit like that's yeah and like you don't i don't remember it like like when you're watching here nino you're like oh that's ron perlman i don't think of that Mm -hmm. then you hear like perlman's distinctive voice and you go oh shit it's that guy Mm -hmm. that he's involved in another do you have another scene that you want to talk about for this back yeah kind of kind of the two brooks scenes when we when it's when everything starts to ramp up for brooks uh, I really love the one, and then I guess that's immediately after Nino hangs up the phone with him at the at the pizza place when he's he kind of comes clean to Brooks about what happened. You you get uh-huh. kind of the story about the money, and then that's when, like I said before, when Brooks is like, "All right, now I have to clean this mess up," and you're like, "No, yeah, Nino's he, the one who cleans. He's he's the one that cleans the mess up. He's the muscle." And then he just start, yeah. and then he just stabs that that guy, yeah. and you're like, "Oh, how? Like, <laughs> honestly, what good is Nino? Like." yeah <laughs> Albert is, is the one who does the business and he's the one who cleans everything up but uh um, yeah. now you're gonna clean up my mess yeah. is what he says yeah. oh man 
God, yeah, yeah. Stabs the dude like who's like just like oh yeah, well, the plan went wrong like type thing. Mm-hmm. He just like kind of feels like we we gotta get this guy, and then yeah, stabs in the eye, and then like it's yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, and then and, and then that I up. think one of the best scenes in the movie is is him and Cranston at at Cranston's garage because oh, that is just so. Oh, man that that method of killing and the way he's just like it's okay it's no pain there's no pain it's it's over it's done it's just such a like oh it's it's i don't want to say it's cold because it he thinks in his mind he's like this is a friend of mine and i'm going to kill him in you know the most humane way that i can like and there is some emotion in there but it's also so it's such a like a brutal it's crazy that scene is insane Apparently, I'll bring this up now. Apparently, that was Cranston's idea of how he would die, mm. because Reffin was so like I think Reffin at one point told every actor to like pitch him stuff on what they wanted to do in the movie, mm-hmm. and Cranston pitched like I think my character should die this way. But like, yeah, it's a very like the way Brooks is like, it's okay, it's over, it's over. It's that's mm-hmm. it. That was it. That was it. It's just it's like it's like a doctor giving a kid a shot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like he's trying to be calming, trying to calm his his friend. Cause it's just like, Oh, I have to tie up loose ends. Yeah. Like, it's not about you. It's just like, it's, it's because of who you're involved in. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, but like, it, it was, I was like, it was great, man. It was great. Just calm down. It's, it's all going to be over soon. Um, and yeah, it, that scene's fantastic. And then, and then the big, the big scene is the elevator scene mm-hmm. when it's both a, it's such a, it's, it's, or here's a, so basically what happens in the scene, with with the Carrie Mulligan and Gosling kiss, Driver and Irene kiss. When Driver realizes there's a gun, there's a the man that's in, the, in there with a gun who's coming to kill him or her mm-hmm. and or her. Um, and you have this moment where it kind of goes into this fantasy like world where that romance you saw at the beginning finally finally goes the next step and they kiss. And the question is, which I don't think can ever be answered, is, is this actually a fantasy or, or is this a fantasy or is this actually real life? Is he doing that as a distraction to the guy mm-hmm. or is this just in his head what could have been with her? Interesting. Because the way the lights the lights dim down, mm-hmm. you go into kind of an otherworldly thing and you're left wondering, did that happen or did it not? Yeah, I mean, I've I've never really thought that it the, that it didn't happen, but I yeah, I get that, especially from the way it's shot. Because then, like, because what it is, it's this high moment of them kissing, and like, this is what could be, and then literally when she sees him smash this dude's face in, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, oh, this will never be, yeah. and you just have such this high high and such this low low in one scene, and it's perfect. It's perfect the way it's done. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, this guy's worse than standard. Like, yeah, oh yeah, he he will snap at any moment. He'll do anything if he wants to. Now, granted, he'll do anything to protect them, is the thing. But you know, in her eyes, this, this is a red flag. Yeah. But yeah, but that's where the comparisons I think with Heat come, or not Heat with Thief come in. Mm-hmm. This back half just feels like Thief, where it's James Conn realizing he can't have this life he wants, and he just literally burns the world down yeah in that movie and that's what Gosling. he just starts going one by one picking everyone off to make sure that no one ever comes after irene and the kid yeah it's also it's got a little bit of heat a little bit of heat too heat as well yeah i i I, we can't just leave town like i have to i have to do this yeah before i can leave town yeah 
they can't leave together it's yeah and then you have I, I, again i love the great i mean we're kind of talking the whole movie a lot but like the scenes between brooks and gosling at the end of the chinese restaurant mm-hmm. uh and then you have that kind of big finale where it's that they it's basically him or me is what it feels like in that in that final 10 minutes of the movie yeah. is what it is and you get you get that kind and, of intercutting which is, I, I think is, is is a really cool way to do that scene um yeah. you know it's like here's how it's, here's how it's gonna work we're gonna walk out to the car and then but then you're also seeing that like that's not how it's gonna work once they get out to the car yeah <laughs> um so onset life so when it came to the crew of drive Refn hired Newton Thomas Siegel, who had worked on such films as, or who had, as director of photography, had worked on such films as The Usual Suspects, Three Kings, the first two X Men movies, and Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Siegel had also seen Bronson, and he knew he wanted to work with Refn as soon as possible. Uh, Siegel decided to shoot the film on the newly released Ari Alexa camera because of how well it was in low light. And so this film was shot digitally, oh, which was kind of... So this movie is why everyone wanted an Alexa when we were in Correct. film school. Gotcha. Yes, yes, that's why. It's like, Alexa was the go-to camera. Oh, it's good for low light. Well, Drive was shot. Um, <laughs> for the film's visual style, Refn said, said in an interview that they looked at a specific group of films that were released between the late 1970s and the early 1980s that he called neon noir hey. um so so it was yeah directly saying i'm looking at this specific genre for this movie they reference walter hills the driver monty hellman's two-lane blacktop michael mann's thief the works of jean-pierre melville and alejandro hodorowski hmm. which is the second time hodorowski's been brought it's also up the this second month. time two-lane blacktops come up in in a month yeah yeah uh gosling said they also referenced the works of john hughes for the romance scenes hmm. That's the second time John Hughes has come this <laughs> month because they referenced him for Streets of Fire. It's all connected, Thomas. Mm-hmm. All connected. Um, Gosling would also play a part in building out the crew by bringing on production designer Beth Mickle to the film. Uh, Mickle had worked on Half Nelson with Gosling in 2006, and he loved her work on that very small film. And she said that she would eventually supervise a crew of 40, routinely working 16 to 18 hour days in this movie. She said this was the most expensive film to date for her and that she felt freer since there was an extra zero added to the budget <laughs> uh, in comparison to Half Nelson. The crew, the production department, production or the art department built out the driver's apartment building, which included a hallway and the elevator that linked as a unit to Irene's. Mickle also built a strip club set and Bernie Ross's apartment in an abandoned building. So they built a lot of sets, surprisingly, for uh this movie uh and, and to live in la we talked about last week how like they didn't build any sets it's the opposite mm-hmm. um gosling also played a part in location scouting wow. uh dri- driving refin around los angeles at night because you know reference still couldn't drive <laughs> um, so he was he was helping him do that for the driving scenes they used a camera rig that had been created for the 2003 film sea biscuit <laughs> it was called the it was called the biscuit rig uh, this allowed for the camera to be on Gosling as he drove, but there was a precision driver driving the car. But while there were several stunt drivers on the film, Gosling did do a lot of his own driving after he took a crash course class and stunt driving before the film. Also, uh, 80% of drive was shot chronologically, which is something that Refn had done in all of his previous movies. Actually, all of his previous movies were shot 100% chronologically. Hmm. This this meant that no character passed away in the beginning or middle of the schedule. 
saving them for the end to provide more emotional impact for the actors with essentially their last day being their death is what it kind of sounds like. Yeah. Um, that that's not advisable from a budgetary standpoint for anyone who's not aware. Uh, cause that sometimes yes. means shooting in a location and leaving and having to re rent that location later on. Yes. But because they had built everything out, they would just come and go mm-hmm. a lot of the time. So, um, so yeah, but, uh, oh yeah. Also I was gonna say, uh, uh as they were, I said, uh, Refn was still open to ideas. Cranston pitched his death scene and Gosling and Mulligan will also cut lines together in the scene feeling that it was, it was better with less dialogue between them. I think Mulligan said she could just look at Gosling for hours basically <laughs> and, and say, and say so much. Uh, and also another reason why Gosling said he initially liked the character and wanted to do the movie was because there wasn't a lot of talking and he had just finished making blue Valentine where he's like, that was a lot of talking <laughs> and I want to do something different. Uh, before the head smashing scene in the elevator reference spoke to Gaspar no uh, who had done a similar scene in his film irreversible mm-hmm. and basically got pointers on how to direct a head smashing scene uh, it was also a movable set they were in for that scene so they actually moved it into a parking lot for when Mulligan walks out of the elevator oh, to kind of create that effect so they moved that set into a parking lot um, also the moment when the lights dim was completely figured out on set when the director of photography, uh, Newton Thomas Siegel, was trying to figure out a way to shoot the scene, and they were setting up lights, and they had dimmers on it, and he just think accidentally did it. It was like, oh, that looks kind of cool, and that's where it like came upon, or that's when they came up with the idea for the lights to dim when he pulls her aside to kiss her, mm. and, he, and and he was the one that said like, is it a fantasy? Is it real? You'll never know, but that's what he was going for in that moment when when shooting it. So toward the beginning of production, Refn offered uh, anyone in the cast and crew to stay at his, stay at the, the house that he was renting in Santa Monica with his family if they wanted to. Uh, writer Haas Amini took the offer, as did Carrie <laughs> Mulligan. Uh, Refn said that Mulligan had just recently broken up with her boyfriend and at the time needed a place to live. It seems like it was a rather joyous set between the cast and Refn. Uh, Amini said that he lived in the attic so he continued continue <laughs> working on the script as need be. Perlman and Brooks would stop by a lot and smoke cigars in the porch and be the comic relief of the place. <laughs> uh, Refn said that we would, shoot the, we would shoot the film, then come home and edit. Then when we got tired, we would watch movies or go for a drive and listen to music. And usually it was Gosling driving. <laughs> Uh, production of the film would wrap on November 12th, 2010. And that leads us to aftermath. So as I said, they were editing and while they were making the movie, they've actually put the editing bay editing suite in the house that Refn was living in. So they were actually editing in the house, even after the film, Refn wanted to use Johnny jewel to score the movie. And he actually scored the film for drive with kind of electronic ambient retro music. And jewel has several songs on the actual, uh, soundtrack but after he scored the movie the studio got involved and hired cliff martinez to basically imitate jules score and write his own so yeah so apparently i think jules said that he was let's see what it says he goes i know i know it's not nice to say but my score was superior it was the director's choice (laughs) it was ryan's choice but in movie production there's a money side and a creative side and they don't always meet in the middle so they eventually just hired another because uh, Martinez was a more experienced composer 
who'd been done who had done over like 30 films or so at that point and they wanted him instead of paying johnny jewel but johnny jewel still had songs on uh on the uh, on the on the soundtrack he had done he was part of a group chromatics and desire and those two have songs on there hmm. Um, but the score people ate up when it came out too. So the film would be, would premiere at Cannes Film Festival on May 20th, 2011, where it was met with just automatic praise. Mm -hmm. Uh, it allegedly had a 15 minute, as you do a 15 minute standing ovation, uh, at Cannes because that's always great. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it premiered there. It was, I think it was in competition and, Pretty much, what was it? Someone said uh, from the Guardian said it it can't win the Palme d'Or and it won't win. <laughs> they said it's too much of a series of cool blank surfaces as opposed to a rounded textured drama. They called it a guilty pleasure of the Cannes Film Festival, <laughs> and that was the year Tree of Life came out. And so Tree of Life was the big winner at Cannes that mm -hmm. year. But uh, essentially at Cannes, I think they were they were trying originally they were doing it. Um, they were trying to raise money the year before, and so they actually got funding from the for the film while at the Cannes Film Mar Market, Film Marche, uh, in 2010, and so it premiered a year later. And big kid at Cannes, it would finally be released in America on September September 16th, 2011. So a few months later, where it was also met with critical praise uh, from critics kind of uh, worldwide. Ebert giving it three and a half stars, saying it was one of the top 10 best films of the year and and someone who he didn't usually love a lot of the neon noir films of the of the early era mm -hmm. but he enjoyed this one um some people did criticize it's uh too graphic or his it's graphic violence and saying there wasn't much with the characters involved and that, that, that he doesn't it's not an action-packed Fast and the Furious movie which what everyone thought and that was the big thing is the audiences weren't huge fans of the movie because they were expecting a Fast and the Furious film based off the trailer, right? Um, for the film, uh, I, and this is kind of this is a film fact for that was gonna bring up later. But eventually, a lady would sue the mar or the the film because she was upset that it wasn't a Fast and the Furious movie. <laughs> so there's that. But yeah, so since then, uh, Drive would become a box office hit. Off its $13 million budget, it would make $81 million uh, worldwide. And it would be kind of, again, an indie darling being nominated for four BAFTAs. It would only receive one Oscar nomination, which was for uh, Best Sound Editing. I know a lot of people at the time were expecting Albert Brooks mm -hmm. to get a nomination. That was the big, like, uh, shocker was that he did not get one. I think he might have gotten a... I don't know if he got a Golden Globe. He did get he get nominated for a Golden Globe, and so people were expecting him to pull one out and get a a nomination, but he didn't. And I think let's see, let me, let me read the nominations for that year, and you tell me, you tell me if you think Brooks should have slotted in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. All right, best supporting actor for that year. Okay, Christopher Plummer, Beginners. Ooh, I do love Beginners. He won. Kenneth Branagh and My Week with Marilyn, which I don't know if you've I've never seen that one. Seen or not? Okay. Jonah Hill, Moneyball. Nice. Nick Nolte, Warrior. Oh, I did not realize Nick Nolte got nominated for Warrior. I didn't remember that. He did. Uh, Max von Sydow for Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. Mm. 
probably gonna be that one <laughs> i think it's i think it's slide in for that one i think it probably uh i think you probably knock out nulti too honestly yeah yeah warrior is one that has like kind of grown in the year since like yeah i know a lot of I people mean, now like warrior a lot um but yeah extremely loud and incredibly close has like zero cultural impact i think i think brooks could slide in there slid in there yep. that's how it ends and now since then it's it's gained a legacy as one of the best of the 2010s i would say mm-hmm. and has since has a legion of film bros that love this movie and uh has and some would would classify it as a cult film now so so yeah so thomas what what worked about drive um i think the cast i I think a lot of people i i think the style of it the look is definitely a huge part of it the you know the cinematography the pink everything about the style is like had a huge influence i feel like for on film for like at least the next couple of years but like the the pink font Mm -hmm. the scorpion jacket um but honestly when i came back to it that was my main thing that was like a pleasant surprise revisiting it was like oh man i like everybody in this movie and they're all like really good um so yeah i think that's for 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 such a kind of small film and and to get kind of kind of casting against type you know to to take cranston and right in the middle of breaking bad and let him be like a good guy and and to to cast albert brooks as your villain all that kind of stuff is 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 so well done and i am carrie mulligan stan all the way um Uh never let me go i still sing its praises to this day um so you know all over and and even Gosling, I mean, you you know, Gosling, it's so interesting because he's tried so hard his, his entire career for like people to take him seriously. But like, I feel like up until this point, like he'd been nominated for Half Nelson, he'd done Lars and the Real Girl. And then it's like Blue Valentine. And, and but this was the movie where people were it's it's kind of it's kind of similar to what everyone did with Robert Pattinson with the Batman uh-huh. this year. Like when, when, when the Batman came out, people were like, Oh, that vampire from twilight. And you're like, have you not paid attention yeah. to his filmography for the past yeah. 10 years? And, and I That's feel true. like when, when drive kind of blew up, everybody was like, Whoa, the, the guy from the notebook is good. And it's like, yes. And everything that he's done since the notebook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this, I feel like this was the one that, that got people to take him seriously. That's a good point. Yeah, it was. And that was off of two Oscar nominations, as you said, at that point, but Blue Valentine and Half Nelson were still small films that weren't seen. And yeah, I knew people who, when when Robert Pattinson was announced for Batman, they were just like, they said, that guy from Twilight. And I was like, guys, have you guys not seen Good Time? Like, have you not seen Lost City of Z? Have you not seen any of these movies? He's been the rover, mm-hmm. anything he's done for the past decade. And and now Gosling, I think, is has... it's as Pat, Pattinson should that's the career that Pattinson should want to have is like Gosling type where like he can do those type roles and Gosling is like I think I think now the thing is that Drive became so big now people think that's his whole persona mm-hmm. as an actor so it went the opposite way with him in a, in a weird way for people it's like it's like when you get Blade Runner 2049 it's like, oh yeah that makes sense he's he's the he's the quiet guy that makes sense for him to be in this movie but he's underrated as an act as a comedic actor like I, a nice guy so. I, and crazy stupid love i still think is one of the best romantic same comedies year, ever made and the same year as drive that movie Talk is about so range. funny 
Talk about range. In the same year, he does Crazy Stupid Love and Drive. That is insane one to of me the best, how good he is one, in both One those. of my favorite comedic line readings of all time is when Kevin Bacon shows up at that climax. And he's like, I'm David Lindhagen. And Gosling's like taking off his ring. He's like, oh, David Lindhagen? Okay, all right. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, he's, the, he's the guy? He's the guy? Yeah, big oh, Gosling man. fan here. You're not going to... Uh, although I do love the funnier die way back in the day funnier die had a video called uh the ryan gosling acting range i love that video so much but <laughs> like hey come down to ryan gosling acting range i can teach you how to play tough guys from brooklyn tough guys from new york <laughs> tough guys from queens uh he's like hey little boy want to pick but uh, but yeah th- th- this was his biggest year in terms of the actor with drive crazy stupid love and the ides of march was the same oh year. i forgot about but- ides of march yeah yeah, a, a lot of people do. Not to, <laughs> not, to, not to say it's not bad, but like it was, it was actually a good movie, mm-hmm. and one of Clooney's more underrated directing efforts that no one really kind of discusses. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really big year for for Gosling. Three lead roles, um, and good good in all three, and all three different movies. Mm-hmm. Like very, very much in like what their tone and everything is. Um, but yeah, I. The style you talked about the 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 the, the neon pink uh, coloring or the the credits. I think they took that from Risky Business. I read mm. that was the inspiration behind that. But but yeah, the visuals are stunning. The, yeah, there's a, there's a world where Albert Brooks plays Brian Cranston's role and Brian Cranston plays Albert Brooks's role, mm-hmm. and and it was great for them to go. I mean, I think Cranston wasn't really going against type fully, but two characters who were going against type at that point in their careers. Mm-hmm. Um, is great and yeah a cast from top to bottom it you have someone like christina hendricks in like a small role and she's still effective oscar isaac Isaac. i this this movie from and 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 i realized kind of looking back on it he had also done born but um when when inside lewin davis came out I was like, or even when they cast him, like, I was like, you know, all right, new Coen Brothers movie, let's go. And they're like, they've cast that guy from Drive. And I was like, oh, really? Interesting. And the lead role, wild. (laughs) Yeah, I had seen him in uh, Robin Hood. Mm -hmm. He was he he was King John in Robin Hood. I saw that in theaters. Also with my dad. But (laughs) he was in several. I mean, I, I. I didn't even see him in the nativity story. That oh, was like yeah, one of his yeah. big, big breakouts. But like, you don't realize that's Oscar Isaac is the thing is the one, until much later. Is that the one when uh, the whale rider girl played, played Mary. Yes. Uh-huh, yeah. y- yes. I think, yeah. K- Kisha Castle Hughes yeah. was, was, yeah. And Catherine Hardwick directed that movie. That's interesting. Wow. Interesting choice for her. Um, but yeah, that, and that was like one of his first movies was the thing. Um, yeah. I had seen Robin Hood. I think what I knew him from, weirdly enough, was a movie called Ten Years, which I think we talked about briefly on like the reunion episode, where it was like the Channing Tatum, Oscar oh, Isaac, yeah. Chris Pratt movie. Mm-hmm. And he sang in that movie. I was like, oh, it's that guy from Ten Years. Of course he can sing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I so yeah, you forget he's in the Born Legacy. You forget he's kind of in this movie at least at the time. Um, and then yeah, and then Inside Llewyn Davis just kind of breaks him out. And then Star Wars. And then he was a sex symbol. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, sure. I mean, he he was great in Star Wars, but uh, I think that's that's what ultimately got him to to the point where he stream. is now. Where you know you go yes. online and it's 
he's a a, a tumbler sex icon anything else that worked that worked besides oscar isaac looking oscar isaac always works um no like yeah. yeah like i said completely the cast um you know we we talked about it earlier on but but kind of the unique approach to car chase scenes you know they, they, yeah. they've got you you've got a good fast car chase scene done really well choreographed really well in the middle there but that that first one is feels so unique it does and the music um music became iconic the, the music the Night music call. is great <laughs> and you get to end it yeah it's 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 a it's a great film so that leads to did anything not work about this movie thomas i i'm not one who gets squeamish but I, I i get why people were turned off by the violence in this one i think because it just comes so far out of left field when mm. when spoiler alert when christina Hendricks' head gets blown to pieces it that's pretty yeah you're, you're just like you have no idea that you're in that type of movie it hasn't given you any reason to think it might be that type of movie until that happens mm. and and so and i get it and i and i you know, it's it's also the way that it, the the smashing of the head plays out. Like you you hold on that shot for so long of him kicking the guy's head, and you're like, okay, this is how we're watching it play out. And then you get that quick cut to it just like completely smashed, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah. I guess we we did have to see that. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't I don't know if it's needed. You, you, you sent me a we had a kind of a New York Times review, yeah, that um that we were reading or New Yorker um that was like the guy was like yeah i was completely into this movie until christina Hendricks' head blew up and i'm like i can i i'm okay with it but i can see why that would completely turn some people off and i, and I do think yeah. it's that complete shock of it of like this is the movie we're in now because even like you said the way i think the way that that standard is killed is brutal and shocking and it's but it doesn't feel gratuitous it's yeah yeah it's not graphic yeah. it's um, so so i get it i get why people don't like it um yeah and i don't particularly like love it i'm not like oh yeah let's blow christina hendrick's head off so i mean yeah <laughs> i agree with that part <laughs> um i mean yeah, i i get it it's interesting because i i felt that way about x for some reason mm. like with the violence of it and this i wasn't as jarred by it, i think because maybe now looking at it in hindsight of like knowing it's a neon noir and knowing that a neon noir will all, will all most of the time lead to a violent conclusion mm-hmm. of some kind. It made sense to me in a way. Um, but I can see that being, uh, I could see that bumping some people. Yeah. This thing. Cause it, it, it does happen. It happens kind of out of nowhere. And it's actually, it's, very, it's just it's, like it's, those, it's, those two specifically, like, you know, the Brian Cranston scene feel, I don't know. It's like, those two specifically almost feel like Tarantino-esque in the way that it's like, yeah. does her head really need to just like completely come apart? Uh, you know, it's like, are, do you want me? Like, what what do you want with this amount of violence? What what are you trying to make me feel? Um, what I I would argue I would argue for the elevator scene. Mm-hmm. It is harder to argue for Christina Hend- Hendricks scene mm-hmm. because the elevator scene can be like that's how far the driver will go, and 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 then you get how horrified irene is she is yeah she just had so to there, witness there it is, yeah she had a witness it. so there there is that he loses something in that in that scene you could are it, there it's in the in the in the shootout in the hotel there's not as much there mm-hmm. of, of why you need it you could just have her get shot and boom and then he's trying to get out and he gets out um but the elevator scene I could, you could argue that's I mean, maybe not the cutaway part of it but 
it argues this is what he will do how far he will go to protect her Mm -hmm. um to a point where he will lose her in order to protect her so yeah uh anything else didn't work uh i don't think so that yeah i i think again i think the script is actually for what worked but the script is great i think it's a good almost character drama for a bit and then turns into like a a a genre picture yeah i mean you know i think it's right in line with those ones like like thief it's it's you know thief thief is one of those movies that is much more about him than it is about the heists um i agree all right film facts or film fact i only have one on this so during production uh gosling rebuilt the 1973 chevrolet malibu using the film taking it apart and putting it back together wow regular old daniel day lewis over here yeah he he was going he was going in on this movie (laughs) it felt like it with driving, reffing around for location scouting, taking stunt cl- classes or, or stunt driving classes, uh, helping get uh, Beth Mickle on for production design, he feels like he's like highly invested in making this movie happen. So awards, the Beatrice Strait Award actor actually in the scenes that kills it. Who do you have hmm. for this? Oscar Isaac. Is he limited? Yeah, I was think I was thinking if he counts. So you have it's three scenes, really. Four. You have you have the the speech, you have the hallway. That's one scene. Oh, you can see that one scene? Yeah, that's one scene. Okay. Same okay. time as just one... he walks out into the hallway. Okay. I mean two slug lines. Script... Okay, fine, I'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, the script is not one scene. Um okay, so let's say one scene, uh I, I won't count the him getting beating getting beaten up, but I'll count the uh the the bathroom scene. Then I would say the table scene when uh, he's um telling them about how he met how he met Irene or mm-hmm. whatever at the dinner table. Yeah, I'd I'd say it's four or five scenes yeah. total because because then you have then you have that's where he does the cutting back and forth mm-hmm. is when they're at the table and i think he's cutting with gosling somewhere else yeah. doing something yeah. i believe um and then yeah and then and then the high scene so yeah i think five scenes total mm-hmm. i would include him i would put him for there okay. i i think christina hendrix is good i don't think she has a lot to do mm-hmm. in terms of warranting an award here I think she's, I think her, hers is more about, it's like, cause she doesn't have a lot of dialogue in the movie besides the, uh, the hotel shootout scene when, when God like, what the hell's happening? Like who's what's going, why do we have this money? Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't have a lot of act or a c- conflict scenes, I guess you could say, but I think Isaac has just a, uh, for five scenes has a great character arc. Yeah. I think he really brings something to it. If that be in the script or that be him, he, he makes this character yeah, really he, he work definitely for, makes it not you know what he was scared of what it he being. was afraid yeah. it would be yeah exactly i agree so oscar isaac beatrice straight award hey how you doing hi this guy's been telling me a lot about you says you've been uh coming around helping out a lot yeah helping out is that right is that right mm-hmm That's very nice. That's nice of you. Thank you. You're welcome. You drive for the movies? Yeah. 
I can take that. No, no, I got it. Let mommy talk to her friend. Annie Potts, X Factor Award, sporting actor, actress is the most memorable. I think it's Albert Brooks. I agree. I think it's still, it's like, it's the first half. He, he's, he's, he's intimidating in the first half, but it's more like, oh, he seems like he's trying to, yeah, like, he seems like a reasonable guy. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it, it's, 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 when you're watching it, you're like, oh, if I had to get in with, like, gangsters, like, he'd be the one I'd get in with. And then you get to the second half pretty- and you're like, oh, okay, I get now why you're not supposed why? to get in with gangsters <laughs> yeah because he he will ju- he will cut you with a straight razor mm-hmm. basically and not think twice about it um yeah he he he's phenomenal in this in this movie and it's I'm, it's surprising that we haven't seen more of him in roles like this since this movie yeah he was like you know what i went i went to that place i came back i'm good yeah let's do finding dory let's go did Shannon ever tell you how we met? I used to produce movies in the 80s. Kind of like action films, sexy stuff. One critic called them European. I thought they were shit. Anyway, he arranged all the cars for me, did all the stunts. I liked them. I liked having him around, even though he overcharged the shit out of me. His next business venture he got involved with some of Nino's friends. They didn't go for the overcharging bit. They broke his pelvis. He's never had a lot of luck. The reason I'm telling you this is that he has a lot invested in you. And so do I. So anything you need, you call me. We're a team now. All right, the Gene Hackman MVP award, the person who carries the movie director, actor, etc. You know, given given everything we talked about this episode, I think it's Gosling. Yeah, it's a tough it's a tough pick. Is it Refn or is it Gosling? But it's like, you know, what it, Refn if if Gosling hadn't been driving Refn around, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, Gosling as as well, it's like it's the power that Gosling had the choice to pick a director, mm-hmm. and he picked this person like just a complete opposite of what studio was wanting mm-hmm. like you like you think he'd be like oh give go give me f gary gray because he did the italian job mm-hmm. and he'll do he'll do this next action-packed movie now he goes nicholas winding refin who's this danish filmmaker who's a very like a lot of about violence and all these different things in his films i wanted him i want him for this movie and that's a choice that you're basically saying, Hey, I want you to direct my starring action movie, uh, in the middle of a, a world when big IP movies are starting to tear mm-hmm. up the box office is because here's the thing. If you get a bigger director for this movie at this point, like the, the idea of the, the Hugh Jackman, Neil Marshall version, mm-hmm. That is a sixty million dollar action movie because it's about a Hollywood stuntman who who robs people at night, or who's a who's a who's a robbery driver at night and a or getaway driver at night and a stuntman during the day. That becomes just a subplot in this movie, mm-hmm. and I feel like in a sixty million dollar movie that would have been a that would have been the main plot is that he's a Hollywood guy turned getaway driver. Yeah, but they make it more about the character. But I think Gosling because of him cutting lines with Mulligan, the training that he did for this with the stunt driving, uh, just the commitment he had to the role. 
and again coming off of again he always kind of takes breaks he's very selective in the movies he takes i would also go with gosling in this as well literally if you i mean range of crazy stupid love and this but even just blue valentine Mm. totally different performance totally different role uh and that one's two different time periods he's playing that character i mean he's 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 fantastic and and almost anything he does yep and here is just a different facet of who he, who he can be as an actor. If I drive for you, you get your money. You tell me where we start, where we're going, where we're going afterwards. I give you five minutes when we get there. Anything happens in that five minutes and I'm yours, no matter what. Anything a minute either side of that and you're on your own. I don't sit in while you're running it down. I don't carry a gun. I drive. You look like you're hard to work. Not if we understand each other. Final questions. I mean, is this James Conn? It's the big question. Uh, if this movie is remade, or if this movie was made in the late 70s or early 80s, who would you cast? All right. I very specifically, I have a, I have a year. It's, it's okay. 1981. Okay. It's not James Conn. I tried okay. to capture everyone around the right age and, and around the right, like, what their kind of vibe was Career, at, at the time. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's yeah. very important for this one. Like we said, even though Gosling had been putting in the work, people thought he, people still thought he was a pretty boy, which is why John Travolta is the lead in my drive movie. Oh, interesting. Okay. I feel like, what was that? Travolta was up for something similar. This is, this is a, a year after urban cowboy. I think it's a year before okay. blowout. Blowout. Yeah. Okay. So, all right, Travolta's driver. Who who, who else do you have in it? In I've movie? got uh, Irene, Shannon, Bernie, Standard, and Nino. Oh wow! Okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's work our way up. Nino. Who do we have? Nino, Nino. I've got Telly Savalas. Good I wanted pick. somebody I like like, like Ron Perlman. When you see him on the screen, you're like, oh, he's the one I should be scared of. Um, yes, yes, Telly Savalas. I like that. I like that. Um, and then Standard. Standard. This one's a little he wasn't really he didn't quite break out until like the mid 80s but i i would go back and i'd be the one to break him out andy garcia how old was he he's like 24 point? 25 which is like okay. like like carrie mulligan was 25 when they made when she made this so like he i feel like he'd be around everybody's okay. age okay okay i mean i love young andy garcia yeah you gotta find someone as good looking as as Oscar Isaac, you know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Who do you want next? Um, who we have next? Uh, go go with go with Shannon. Go with Shannon. Shannon Roy Scheider. I like that pick too. I think he, he okay. he's somebody kind of like Cranston. People kind of expected to be like a hard ass and stuff, but could also be like very yeah. warm and and. Yeah. I like that. I like that. And then um, Bernie. Let's go with Bernie. Bernie. Walter Matthau. Oh, I love that pick. You know, I love that pick. Right? He's he's fantastic. Yeah. He can be he can, he can play, be he, bad, but but when you he, see him, you think you you see him up against Telly uh, Savalas, you're like, oh, he's the cool headed one out of the group. Like, yeah. And I think I tell this a lot because Matthau is someone when you look at that period of the 70s and 80s, even the 60s, but that like that run, he's just doing so many odd movies in, in a good way mm-hmm. it's like taking a pelm one two three but it's also like years for he's in the fortune cookie or he's in like charlie varick he's in charade like that man's filmography is just insanely good mm-hmm. 
but everyone nowadays just knows him as Grumpy Old Man. <laughs> and, like and Mr. Wilson. Like, and Mr. Wilson. <laughs> like that man did so much for cinema and so underrated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I also, I, I also wanted someone who was, who was Jewish as well. Cause that feels like a very important yeah, yeah. part of kind of Bernie's character. Yeah. I agree. All right. Um, Irene. Irene. 1981. It's gotta be Meryl Streep. Like it's not cheating. It like, oh. like if you're doing a modern movie and I'm like, Oh, Meryl Streep, that feels like cheating. But like 81, it's like right after Kramer versus Kramer. Like, yeah, you would want, you would get Meryl Streep for this. Yeah. It's it's at yeah Kramer's Kramer Deer Hunter, uh Manhattan. Sophie's Choice is eighty two. So yeah, man, I'd, I'd love to, I, I would love to see Meryl Streep in a genre picture. Yeah, like like any any year. I want to put her in, a, in a, yeah put her in some put her in a heist movie. I want to see what happens. Has she been in a heist movie, Thomas? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think she. Ha- I don't think she has. I mean. Yeah, I, I feel like that's a weird choice for me to say, but I just think she'd be, it'd be, so, you know, I like great actors in just like genre movies, mm-hmm. you know, it's like to see what they can do in that world. And I, I, w- I would pay to see Meryl Streep in, in a heist movie to see yeah. what happens. So there's my, As at, there's my 1981 yeah. drive cast. All right. I like it. And with Johnny T in the lead. That's a, that's a, that's a good. That's a good cast. I would watch that mm-hmm. movie. Who do you who do you think directs it? Is it Michael Mann? Yeah. Is it Walter Hill? I think um, it's Michael Mann. Okay. De Palma. All right. All right. Who are you gonna pick? De Palma. I'll pick De Palma, man. Don't tempt. <laughs> don't tempt me, Thomas. Does this film fit with any other genres, Thomas? Yeah, I think I think it's a it's a heist movie. You know, it's it's not like, you know, it it's closer to something like Thief. It's not like like one big heist kind of thing it's more about the fallout but but i do think it, it lines yeah. up with with those kind of like fallout heist movies like thief and heat um yeah probably probably just neon noir and heist though i think yeah i think that's mostly it i mean it, you could throw in like if you want to say la movie i said this last week last week we lived in la they have very specific vibes mm-hmm. and this is kind of an la film um but yeah i agree with that and then how is this a neon noir film i mean like like we said you know this was a movie that was definitely made with a lot of you know it's kind of that you you talk about the idea of like simulacrum which is like you try and recreate something and then you recreate that and 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 the recreation becomes more solidified than than what the original thing in mind was and this was obviously something i don't think this was made with noirs in mind i think this was a neon noir that was made with earlier neon noirs in mind and yes. and so you know i don't i don't think that they were looking back at, at actual oh, like yeah. the, the big heat or anything like that when they were making this they were like, obviously looking back at things like thief yeah um yeah. and and so in that way it does like you said it does kind of become the ultimate neon noir because mm-hmm. it was made to it was made to be a neon noir those the the other films we've been talking about were made to be noirs but in the 80s and to to update them to the 80s whereas this one is looking back at the 80s and and saying i want to make that so so yeah it, it, it's it's a in, in a weird sense it is kind of the ultimate neon noir yeah and as i told i told anna it was like with noir Cause she was saying that's neon noir is made as a time period of the late seventies, early eighties. But I feel like ever since 
noir went to neo noir i was like we had we only had like 20 years of noir films mm-hmm. we've had 62 years of neo noir films mm-hmm. there's not really a big gap somewhere so like you have to kind of go with style as a way of separating it if it's like a tech noir or a I mean, even like a, a Western noir or whatever, mm-hmm. or a, a neon noir. It's like style is what kind of separates it because there's no there's no psycho that comes in and says like this is the transition period. Right. Um, and so that's why Drive kind of falls into it is that it becomes more about again because noir, as we said, it's not just a genre, but also a style. Mm-hmm. It's one of those rare film film genres that has that style and a genre. So stylistically, the genres, the, the basically the subgenres can be divided stylistically and not by eras, right? Which is a very unique thing about noir. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think it is kind of the ultimate one where it combines. It's it's thief, it's driver, it's it's blowout. Even it's like blowouts about a guy who works as a uh, Travolta works as a sound designer or whatever. So he's in the Hollywood. Hey, at that point, he's in New York, but he's in the movie business. So is so is so is Gosling. He's a driver like the driver. It's he he wants another life like Thief. Like it's it's everything is kind of combined and put together. Um, so yeah, that's that's how it fits. So that's it on Drive. Next is our final genre questions, Thomas. So what were some movies we didn't talk about this month that you'd like to shout out here? You know, one one I, I kind of kicked around doing, but ultimately there's like not enough kind of background for it but but a, a modern one that i really enjoyed is is bad times at el royale which mm-hmm. i think you and i both saw in theaters and we're kind of like wow i'm surprised there's not an audience for this movie it didn't didn't do very well in theaters and is is a great cast and, and a really kind of fun twisty neon noir crime movie in a way that you know i think both of us when we were watching it we were like they don't make movies like this anymore and then it no. and then it kind of bombed and that's like oh okay maybe that's that's why maybe that's why yeah yeah that was one um too like it was just a really great production design in that film and that was when a lot of people were like oh it's a tarantino movie and i don't i don't know if i would call it a tarantino i mean it's like there's tarantino elements because of the kind of like non-linear structure to it but like the world feels a little more fantasy yeah than tarantino's films yeah well do. and i do think there's an aspect of because tarantino kind of cornered that which we talked about it a little bit with with streets of fire but but that kind of like it's modern day but it's also kind of the 50s uh yeah. and and so when this one kind of was set in the 50s everybody was like oh yeah. tarantino like that's just kind of what you associate now yeah in your mind with with that period yeah yeah um yeah, that was when we discussed. Uh, a few I would love love to do at some point. Blowout is one. I love to do blowout at some point, and 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 this in the history of this show. One I was really tempted to do. It was mid seventies, but it's on a lot of lists, so it's on our neon noir list. But one I really want to do at some point on this show is Night Moves with Gene Hackman. Oh yeah, yeah. I I love that movie. Um, I have a poster of it in my room, like. It's and it's it's also kind of a Hollywood esque where he lives in Hollywood and and deals with a lot of stuntmen in the movie. Um, so there are elements to it, but just I think a great film. One that's an interesting movie that I don't think I don't think you've seen. I would love to discuss at some point on the show is Miracle Mile. 
Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Is that Anthony uh, Edwards, right? Anthony Edwards in it. Yeah, it's it's a very I really like it. It's a very unique film. That director didn't do much or hasn't done much, and uh, it's it's worth watching. It's kind of one of those like it's very much a video store movie. Um, but Anthony Edwards is great. Uh, very short watch as well. Very short watch, like in less than ninety minutes. Yeah. And then one I know I think is getting a lot of re- revisiting, if not just within our friend group. I think I think within like a a wider conversation is Manhunter. Um, oh yeah which is a which is a very very fun hannibal yeah. movie yeah hannibal, yeah we almost did it because because that was when the anna i would like to do that again because we did it on our michael Mann episode a little bit mm-hmm. um and anna was was we were torn between to live in la and manhunter and we went to live in la because we never discussed it before but manhunter would be fun to do also at some point blood simple blood simple oh, yeah. is a movie i really like the cohen's fantastic and that that's an interesting kind of like southern noir mixed with neon noir and it's it's a it that's a great film to watch yeah um, and then i think you know i think I've, I've we've we've done an episode it's way 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 back but uh i love roadhouse i love i love the movie roadhouse it is a fascinating film and if yeah. you haven't seen it you should watch it yeah also i would one i would like to do i think it's on here i, I would do cold in july at some point mm. At some, I don't know what 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 show I would do it on if it's a Patreon, but I like Cold in July, um, with a, with a fantastic cast. So we'll see. So neon noir, very small genre, but apparently we love a lot of movies from that genre. Mm-hmm. So there's that, and and that leads us to what did you learn this month, Thomas, about the neon noir genre or noir and noir in general? Since we've been talking a lot about it, I mean, just I th- I think kind of the those those parameters of like late 70s early 80s but then you've always got an eye to like the 40s and 50s it's just like the the way that the time periods work out is really interesting for for yeah. this one especially like you were saying because there is neo-noir and and yeah. so it's like but and so you just kind of think like oh neon noir is just like a neo-noir with like neon lighting but i but i do think yeah. it, it has to have those two it has to have that weird meeting of like eighties and and fifties, yeah. And um and like we said today, when that even if that becomes drive, like looking back at the eighties, which then they were looking back at the at the forties and fifties, it's it, it's it is this weird genre that is tied up in those specific eras. Yeah, it, I think it's a genre that's, that's that is a mixture of vibe and plot mm-hmm. or vibe and story. Um, because I think with all these movies, even with streets of fire is like, there is a specific vibe to all these movies that isn't always present in a neo noir mm-hmm. film. Like there's not a lot of a neo noir, a character driving around Los Angeles, listening to, electronic music or whatever um and there's not a lot of just traveling the rails of chicago listen of music playing or whatever mm-hmm. as well with streets of fire um and then yeah it's just a usually a lot of these are colorful and energetic in some way in terms of tone um even with this the, like the car chase and these i think it's very energetic and and fast-paced car chase for a movie that's supposed to be an art art house film mm-hmm. um but yeah, I, I wasn't expecting, even this is kind of noir in general, but I wasn't expecting 
the ties to not just the noir stuff of the 40s but westerns how like as i said like a lot of these guys are compared to clint eastwood or steve mcqueen it's like the lone cowboy riding in is how you can describe the driver how you can describe tom cody Mm -hmm. you can even describe that a little bit as as like as a bounty hunter for rick uh deckard and blade runner like the Western has has some interesting ties to neon noir and noir in some way. Um, and a lot with, with also neon noir, I didn't realize at least with uh, ones we picked how central LA is to the neon noir genre. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't, we didn't pick any New York neon noir Thomas. We picked a, all LA. Like we could have done taxi driver, but like taxi driver it's like one of the one of the few New York movies on here. Even Thief is another movie that like it, it takes place in LA for a, for a time. Mm. Um, but yeah, like, even Lost Highway, Pulp Fiction, Miracle Mile, um, The Driver, Body Double, all Los Angeles movies. So it's like LA plays a very prominent role in this genre not in every movie but in a lot of these films la is a big thing so i didn't i didn't really expect that going into it for some reason i don't know why Mm -hmm. um but yeah i think that's it on the neon noir genre thomas and so next month we're we're it's the holidays Mm -hmm. so it's 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 christmas it's it's the you're gonna be with family and when you think about family thomas i think about christmas horror films oh yeah um and so next month we haven't planned out all of them but we're i know we're doing black christmas yes a personal favorite for both of us i think for both of us yes and then you're you're doing better watch out we just okay you decide on better watch out okay so those are those are the first two mm-hmm. we have a few more in the works probably gonna do gremlins if i had to guess that'll probably show up at some point in the month but christmas horror movies Stay tuned for that. I again, I love Black Christmas. I'm excited for the month. It's gonna be interesting. Yeah, we've done a lot. We've done all the Christmas, the Christmas adjacent movies and Christmas movies, but now we're doing Christmas horror. Well, I, I think you know we we've done anti anti Christmas movies. Yeah, which I think horror yeah. is just Christmas horror is just diving a little bit deeper into the anti Christmas yes. movies. So go back and listen to our anti Christmas month if you want to hype yourself up, and then and then we're we're gonna take it even further. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be exciting. Uh, and then. Again, we got Patreon stuff that you can go listen to. We have uh, the Richard Gear episode out now. I believe our l- the last week of no- of November, which will be the f- so basically beginning of next week, we'll have Maltese Falcon out. So stay tuned for that. A lot of noir stuff, and then we're going to be planning some episodes for our Patreon on uh, for December. So stay tuned for that. And those tiers are one dollar, five dollar, ten dollars. Go check it out on Patreon.com to see what each tier uh what each tier has you get like a weekly email for all of them for each tier so so you can see more content from us so please support us that way uh we greatly appreciate it but yeah that's all we have for this episode if you have any questions for us feel free to contact us at sendationpodcast at gmail.com send us your questions comments movies you love that we've covered or you're upset we didn't cover manhunter again i don't know or you like manhunter better than science of the lambs i know some <laughs> people are out there who are like that we've talked about this um but if you're a new list if you're a new listener to the show or a fan of the show and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us be sure to subscribe to the nation podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our new episodes 
You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, be sure to write us a review on your preferred podcast platform. You know, you have a rare opportunity to hear to uh, to be a real human being and a real hero and go rank us five stars on your podcast platform of choice. Yeah. Preferably Apple, because that's where we get our charts from. That's how we track our own yeah, sense so of accomplishment. Where, that's where most of our reviews go. So yeah, that, that's where we love to see it. Um, yeah, if you do a review, Thomas will read the review just like Ryan Gosling says dialogue and, and drive. Hey, look, keep one, two, pick. It'll, no, it'll be, it'll be silent. It'll just be silent. That's <laughs> what it will be. Um, and yeah, and finally, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and TikTok. Thomas, as always, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye.